Good morning, third service. How are we doing? You guys doing all right? I do like third service best. It's my favorite service by far. Uh, you guys are working to fill this place up in third service, and it's good. We're growing, and that's good. You're, this section is doing the best, so good job over there. Um, you guys are okay, but you have people who won't sit anywhere besides the last, the last chair. So you guys just talk to them afterwards. Just talk to them afterwards. Don't look at them. Don't look at them. Just talk to them afterwards and uh, see if they can scoot up next week. But yeah, so I'm excited about what God is doing here in third service. And um, if you have your Bible, you can head over to First Peter chapter 3. Uh, and uh, we'll get to that in a moment. Uh, my name is Pastor Jake. I'm the lead pastor here. It's a, my honor and privilege to unpack the word with you, study it with you and for you uh, today. But let me ask you a question, um, and then we'll get into that passage. Have you ever uh, been presented uh, with a task that was so beyond you and so out of your comfort zone uh, that you just kind of laughed? You were like, <laughs> whatever. Like, no way. There's no way I could possibly do that. Um, your reaction was just to laugh. Maybe it was at work. You, you were asked to do something you don't normally do outside of your department. Maybe you were asked to lead a project and you've never done that before or, or whatever. And you're just, you're like, no, this is just not going to happen. I can't possibly do that. Maybe it was at home. Guys, maybe it was the first time that your wife left you at home alone with the baby. And you were like, I can't do this. What am I supposed to do, right? You're, you're just laughing like, this is crazy. I'm not prepared for this. Or speaking of another time that fathers tend to feel ill-prepared, maybe it was when you realize that it's on you as the dad to have that birds and the bees conversation uh, with, uh, you know, a 10-year-old son or a 12-year-old girl or whatever, and you're just like laughing like, I'm not ready for this. I can't. I can't do this. I'm not supposed to do this. Or, or you feel totally uncomfortable doing it. Maybe it was at church when we asked you to serve or asked you to lead or asked you to record your testimony for baptisms or, or asked you to lead a life group or go to a life group. And you're just like, yeah, right. I'm not going to do that. I can't do that. On a more spiritual side of things, have you ever been asked by God or told by God that he's going to do something in you, accomplish something through you, and in prayer, your reaction is just kind of a laugh on the inside, like, whatever, God, like, that sounds great, but there's no way that's going to happen. There's no way that's going to happen in my life. I remember when we were missionaries in China, I had a situation like this. I was talking with a pastor there, um, and we had been trying to build a relationship with a certain church and come alongside them and help them in any way that we could. And, and I was talking to this pastor in Chinese. She didn't speak English. And we had been studying Chinese for about a year and a half at the time. And God had been gracious. We, we had gotten pretty good at Mandarin. But I still felt like there was a lot to learn and I had a lot to go. And so I'm in this conversation with this pastor. And she asked me uh, what my undergraduate degree was in. And, and we're talking about education. And I, I tell her that, you know, part of my undergraduate degree, a major part of it, uh, was biblical languages, studying Greek and Hebrew, and mainly Greek. And she just gets really excited, and she goes, we need a Greek teacher for our seminary. And I just laughed. I was like, I'm not doing that, because I can't, I haven't studied Greek in a long time, and I, there's no way I could possibly teach it. I don't know it well enough. And she answered by saying, well, don't, don't you know it better than the students know it? And I was like, that's true, but... So I said, okay, well, maybe I'll consider it, but how would it work? Like, do, you, do your students know, know English well enough for me to teach in English? And, and she looked at me like I was crazy. And she's like, our students don't know any English. 
I'm like, well, how's it going to work? Like a translator or what? Remember, we're having this conversation in Chinese. And she's like, no, you, you can teach them Greek and Chinese. And I laughed again. I'm like, whatever. I'm not doing that. That, that, that sounds horrible. I'm not going to. Can, I can barely have a conversation, it feels like, sometimes. Like, there's no way I could teach anything in Chinese, much less biblical Greek and Chinese, right? Talk about a headache. There's no way. And then... She's, she's like, yeah, but you're speaking Chinese right now. And I'm like, well, it's different, right? It's just different. And so I left that conversation, and I prayed that night, and I, I felt like God said, this is an opportunity I've given you. Don't pass it up. And I, I laughed again. And I was like, God, this is crazy. I'll do it, but I don't see it working out. I'm just going to embarrass myself in front of everybody, acting like I have, have a Chinese level that high to, to preach or to teach biblical Greek. And so it turned out great. It was super hard. I did make a lot of mistakes, but God was good. And may, maybe you have a story or two like that. So, sometimes, sometimes it's like that. The laugh that you have when you're presented with this is, it's just disbelief, right? You just, I can't possibly do this. Sometimes the laughter is, is laced with tears, though, because God or maybe a person is talking to us about something that you know, a promise that we've long given up on. Something we've stopped hoping for and it hurts. Or possibly we're being called into something by God that's just difficult. It just seems like it's not fair. It's a tragedy or a trial or just a difficult situation that's going to require a lot of patience and, and long-suffering. And we laugh, but it's a sad laugh. Maybe a bitter laugh, like... Yeah, right. Last week, Peter, the Apostle Peter, talked to us from 1 Peter about submission. Submission, not just to easy, like, really great leaders, but he talked about submission to unjust, difficult leaders. He talked about unjust authority, difficult leadership, and he shifted the focus in this whole submission thing. Like, we tend to ask, can I submit to this person? Can I submit to this person, husband, leader, boss, government, pastor, elder, whoever? Can I submit to this person? Peter's like, no, 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 that's not the question. The question you should be asking is, can I submit to the God who put this person in authority over me? That's the question. Can you submit to God? And he gave us this difficult, almost laughable task to submit to unjust Leaders, maybe difficult leaders. Or maybe it's just a leader who does things differently than you do. And because of our pride and all of that, it's difficult to submit. Maybe if you're honest, maybe it's not about the leader in question. Maybe we don't submit in a godly way to anyone, despite how they lead us. You'll find that the Apostle Peter, as he teaches us what it means to be set apart for God, to be holy, to be a people uh, for God, that he talks about submission a bunch. He's going to hit on it a bunch. In today's passage, he continues to talk about submission, but now he, he changes from talking about governmental authority, and he talks to the home. He talks to husbands, and he talks to wives about submission and he gives some commands in this that are just laughable. They're just laughable because they're so difficult. 
And if you're in one of these situations that he's going to mention, you, you may find a, a, a bitter or, or tear-laced laugh escape your throat. Let's look at it. He's going to talk to wives first and then husbands. 1 Peter chapter 3, starting in verse 1. He says, likewise, so he's been talking about submission to unjust authorities. He goes, just like that, likewise, wives, be subject to your own husbands, so that even if some do not obey the word, they may be one without a word by the conduct of their wives when they see your respectful and pure conduct. So he switches from government to the home, but the apostle Peter is talking about the same thing. He's talking about submission, submission to authority, just like Pastor Bill preached on last week. Submitting to the authority God has placed you under when it's not easy. When it's difficult, husbands aren't always right. They're difficult to submit to sometimes. When this is not ideal, when something's not right, he goes, wives, submit to your husbands. Be subject to them. And that's the way that God set this up. We know that from the scriptures that God has set this thing up for husbands or fathers to be the heads of their households, to be the head of their household. We know that. And we know from Ephesians 5, not from this passage, but from Ephesians 5, that when it talks about a husband being the head of his household, it's not talking about power or control or anything like that. In fact, it's talking about sacrifice. It's talking about weight it's talking about responsibility so the mantle of leadership the bible puts on husbands and fathers as the head of their household is one of sacrifice humility and others centeredness not not control power or self-centeredness but peter's not talking to husbands at this point he's talking to wives and he says be subject to your husband. And if you've, if you've got a God-honoring, humble, loving, sacrificial husband, maybe you're going, I'm in. I can do it. Yeah, I can do this. I'm in. But even with that kind of a husband, it's difficult. Because in the end, this isn't about you being led right. This is about you following right. And yet every time we teach on submission, study submission, read a Bible verse about submission, our tendency is to immediately point to the leader and go, yeah, but he's a bad leader. Yeah, but he was rude to me. Yeah, but he didn't say hi to me on Sunday one time and it just crushed me. Yeah, but my husband is this. My boss is this. This leader is that. We immediately start looking at the leader. But the passage isn't about leading. It's about following. The passage passage is about submitting to leadership that God has put over you. So even with an awesome husband, it is difficult. It's very, very difficult. Because That self-reliance and that pride that's existed in our hearts since day one loves to refuse to obey, refuse to be led, refuse to follow. So this is more about you following than it is about you being led. In the end, submission is about humility. The question is, are you humble enough to submit to the authority God has placed over you or 
do you think you know a better way? Do you have a better way than what God is outlining? Are you humble enough to submit, or do you think you have a better way? And so Peter is teaching us here that we are set apart for humility. This whole thing has to do with humility, being humble. But the immediate question from a lot of wives in this is, is what if my husband's not there though? Like what, what if he's not, he's not really loving? What if he's not really taking this seriously? Like what if he's not absent or abusive, but he's also not loving or leading in the way that you're talking about? What about that? And then the one that Peter actually addresses in this passage, what if he doesn't believe in Jesus? What then? I mean, am I really supposed to be subject to a husband that doesn't know Christ? How could that possibly be? Am I supposed to submit to them? These are great, fair questions. And Peter, he answers the extreme question, the extreme situation. And in so doing, he answers all the lesser situations as well. He goes, yes. Even if your husband doesn't believe in God, submit to him. Why, Peter? I mean, why are you putting that on me? How could that be right? Why? Because that's how they'll be one to the Lord. By your conduct, your humility, you submitting to them. So whether your husband is an unbeliever, he's an awesome believer, he's got it figured out, or he's a lazy, marginal believer. I had another word in my head, but I went marginal. Lazy marginal believer who doesn't take seriously the sacrificial leadership of his home or making Christ primary in your family. He's just kind of doing the church as a hobby thing. No matter if it's unbeliever, that middle-of-the-road guy, or an awesome believer, wives, submit to your husband. Be subject to them. That's, that's what Peter says. And first, Peter, be subject to them. <laughs> yeah, right. And I got wives in here like, you don't know my husband. Like, this is ridiculous. No, this is ridiculous. That's impossible. Let's pause here for a minute. And I'm, I'm just going to interject some things into the text. Peter, Peter doesn't give any exceptions in this text. And I think the reason is because to do so would be like 50 pages long. It would turn this little letter into a very much, much longer letter. Okay, so, so let me give you some examples of what this is not saying. This is not saying that if your husband tells you to leave the faith, you should. This is not saying that if your husband asks you to sin, you should. This is not saying that you must always agree with him and must be silent before him and never speak your mind. This is not saying that if he is unfaithful, you don't have some biblical recourse for that. This is not saying that if he abuses you, abandons you, or continually hurts you, that you have to stay in that relationship at all costs. This is not saying those things, but let me give you some advice. If you're a wife in this room or listening online and your mind is immediately asking those questions around the edges of this text because your situation is that difficult, let me give you some advice. You do not have to figure this out on your own. You do not have to figure this out on your own. We have the body of Christ to help you figure this out. 
We have the body of Christ to help you figure out how 1 Peter 3 applies in your specific situation. I'm not talking about your BFF in church who always agrees with you. Okay, that's not... I'm talking about leaders, pastors, life group leaders, elders, other people that you look up to that have a a mature faith. These are people that can help you read this text and apply it to your situation. So make sure that you reach out to them and get the help that you need to figure this out. All right. So if you're in that situation or you're married to an unbelieving husband, you may at this point succumb to a bitter laugh at this command because it's just been so hard. But I don't want you to miss the good news in this text either. This verse should give you hope as well. If you love your husband and long for them to have a saving faith in Jesus Christ, then this this text should give you some hope. Don't, Don't miss it. It just said that some men entering heaven will will owe that directly to their wives, okay? That some men entering heaven will enter heaven because of their wives. The, uh, the, the humble, honorable, faithful conduct of their wife who for decades persevered in a difficult marriage with them in costly, real, faithful submission. That they're going to actually point back and go, that my wife led me here. Not, not through rebellion, not through yelling, not through, you know, whatever, but through submit, godly submission. That this actually happens. So I want you to hear the hope in this. Man, this is happening in our church right now. I've seen it happen in our church. It's currently happening in our, some men in this room are here because of the, the, the honorable, humble conduct of their wives. Some of you are those men. And you should weep as you thank your wife for leading you into a relationship with Jesus Christ and an eternity with him. You should, you should strive the rest of your days to be the husband and father that God has called you to be. Some of you are these men. I see this happening regularly. God leads husbands to himself through faithful, believing wives all the time. So if you're in the middle of this with an unbelieving, maybe even harsh jerk of a husband who mocks your faith, I know this is difficult, but I want you to hear the hope. There is hope for him, and there is hope for you. Let's look at the rest of Peter's commands uh, to wives. Verse 3, he says, Do not let your adorning be external, the braiding of hair, the putting on of gold jewelry for the clothing or the clothing you wear. But let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit, which in God's sight is very precious. For this is how the holy women who hoped in God used to adorn themselves by submitting to their own husbands as Sarah obeyed Abraham, calling him Lord. And you are her children if you do good and do not fear anything that is frightening. Okay, so, so let me be clear here. Um, 
This is not saying that you can't braid your hair or wear jewelry. Okay, so just to be clear, I'm not like, I don't have like the ushers ready with scissors, like braided hair. Okay, I'm not, that's not where I'm at. I'm not, we're not going to pass the buckets around to take up, you know, all the jewelry that you have. That's not where ushers come on for. No, I'm kidding. We're not going to do that. All right. We're not, we're not going to do this. This is not saying that you can't braid your hair or wear jewelry or have nice clothes. What's this, what this is saying is that that should not be your main concern. You tracking with me? That that should not be your main concern. What matters is what's on the inside. And specifically, it mentions a gentle and quiet spirit. It's talking about humility, being humble. So let me unpack this this way. In our day, women are assaulted every day with the message that they need to focus on outward beauty, makeup, jewelry, clothes, hair products, plastic surgery, weight loss, even fitness. Even fitness, the message given to women in the area of fitness is not be healthy, but it's get the belly that he wants, right? It's look the way that he wants you to look. It's get the behind that he wants you to have. We had a debate in sermon team on what word I should use. How did I do? behind us. Some of you wanted a harsher word. I, I can tell you're like, oh, I was hoping for, yeah. Yeah, so that's the way fitness, even fitness is that way. Listen, th- what this is saying is that if you're more concerned about your hair than you are about your humility, you have a problem. If you're, this is saying if you're more concerned about your complexion then you are about the commands of God, you have a problem. This is saying that if you spend more money on products than you do when you give to the church or those in need, you have a problem. This is saying, guys, if you care more about how much you bench press than how much you read the Bible, you have a problem. Men, if you care more about how sexy you look in your swim trunks than how sacrificially you lead your family, then you have a problem. This is saying if you care more about what you drive, what you wear, and how people perceive you than what's on the inside of you, you need to make a change. Are you tracking with me? You need to make a change. You've got a problem. And the aim in this text is very clear, right? I mean, this is for God. What does he find precious? What does he care about? It's not the external, it's the internal. It's humility, the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit. Humility. That's what God finds precious. That's the aim here. And then Peter brings Sarah into this. I love that he brings Abraham's wife Sarah into this. Because women, the the world will try to convince you that a gentle and quiet spirit is weakness. That submission to anyone is weakness. But he uses Sarah and he goes, hey, no, 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 no. Look at Sarah. Sarah submitted to her husband Abraham. Listen, Sarah was not some like nobody. Sarah Sarah spoke up. Sarah got in her husband's face a couple times and and changed the course, you know, of their lives. But she did so in a submissive spirit, in respect, and she always honored him. She was humble. 
So it says, she, Sarah, called him Lord. When she called him Lord is in, is in Genesis 18. I looked it up. Let me read a part of that to you. It'll be on the screen in a moment. But Abraham and Sarah, um, in this passage I'm about to read to you, uh, they, they've been promised that, that their descendants will make a great nation, right? That'll number more than the sand in the sea. Or, I'm sorry, sand on the seashore, yeah. And then also the stars in the sky. And so there's this great descendants, this great nation that's going to come out of them. And so they think it's between, they think it's going to come out of Abraham and Sarah, but the problem is Sarah can't have any kids. And years go by, Sarah doesn't have kids. By this time, in this text, Abraham has already taken a detour. He's gone plan B, and that produced a, a kid named Ishmael that's still causing us problems today, right? Still, still a problem today. And so he's done that. They've given up on this happening with Sarah. And at this time, in this text, the me- some messengers from God show up, and they're telling Abraham that a year from now, they're in their 90s at this time, a year from now, they're going to have a baby. Sarah is going to have a baby. The messengers are talking to Abraham, but Sarah is just in the tent a little bit away, and she's listening to them talk. And it says this in Genesis 18, verse 11. Now Abraham and Sarah were old, advanced in years. The way of women had ceased to be with Sarah. Do I need to explain that? Are you guys good? So Sarah laughed to herself, saying, after I am worn out and my Lord is old, shall I have pleasure? The Lord said to Abraham, why did Sarah laugh and say, shall I indeed bear a child now that I am old? Verse 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? So Sarah's told that she'll have a son at 90 when Abraham will be 100 next year. And she laughs. It's a bitter laugh. A laugh laced with tears like, yeah, right. Yeah, right, God. I already, you, when you told us that whole nations and sand of the seashore and stars in the sky stuff, I put my hope there. I hoped for that. I tried. Decades have passed, and I have not been able to have a child. You made your promises, but now it's too late. It's impossible. I've given up on that. And God goes, is anything too hard for me? In our 1 Peter 3 passage today in verse 6, Peter tells wives, don't fear anything that's frightening. I think what he's saying is, I know that this is scary. I know that this whole submission thing is frightening, but you have nothing to fear. I think when it comes, he says, hey, don't fear anything that's frightening. In other words, you can trust God in this. You don't have to be scared. I know this is difficult, but you don't have to be scared. I think when it comes to the Bible's commands for wives to submit to their husbands, the laughter of Sarah can still be heard behind the curtains of our tents. Wives, when you hear these words, maybe your reaction is to laugh. Like, you've got to be kidding me. That sounds impossible. No way. I submit to this guy and God takes care of me? I submit to this guy and God keeps his promises too good to be true. I've already tried that. It's not working. And Peter is going, yes, God can be trusted. Is anything too hard for him? The question isn't, is your husband worthy of your submission? The question is, is God worthy of your submission? It's not, is your husband trustworthy? The question is, is God trustworthy? And the answer to the right questions is yes, God is. 
God can be trusted. Okay, let's uh, switch gears here. Our text is going to shift and begin to talk to husbands. Um, But before we read what Peter says to husbands, in light of what we just read to wives, let let me say something to husbands. So, So the woman that 1 Peter 3 just called our wives to be, is this the kind of woman you're looking for? Husbands, men, I'm talking to you. The woman that 1 Peter just called our wives to be, is this the kind of woman that you are looking for? Is this the kind of woman that you're teaching your sons to look for? Is this the kind of woman that you're teaching your daughters to be? Is godliness, humility, gentleness, Christ-centeredness, is that what you appreciate most in the women in your life, or is it how they look? Their waist size, their clothes, their hair, their makeup. Do you call beautiful what God calls beautiful? Men, do you call precious what God calls precious? Men, do you call unnecessary and peripheral what God calls unnecessary and peripheral? Because listen, everybody is conditioned, naturally conditioned, to repeat whatever is celebrated. Let me say that again. Everybody is conditioned to repeat whatever is celebrated. Your sons, your wife, your daughters are no exception. So what are you celebrating in them? What are you celebrating in women? If you're a Christ follower, this, what 1 Peter 3 is talking about, this is what you should be looking for in your wives. This is what you should be celebrating in them. Okay, let's look at verse 7 together and Peter's commands to husbands. He says, likewise, husbands... Live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of life, so that your prayers may not be hindered. Okay, so two commands here and two motivations for these commands in this short passage, okay? The first command to us husbands is to live with our wives in an understanding way, right? Live with our wives in an understanding way. In other words, husbands, you shouldn't be issuing commands and orders from atop your lazy boy in your whitey tidies with no, with no concern for your wife's thoughts, opinions, or situation. So you, you shouldn't be just going, hey, I'm the king of my domain, do what I say, with no thought to what she needs, what she wants. Like, hey, those whitey tidies and that white uh, tank top undershirt, those look great with the beer stain and the chocolate stain, and you're looking really great as you sit on your throne, but maybe that's not the way to go. Maybe you're not supposed to do that with no concern for your wife. As you seek to lead your wife in the way that God wants you to, your first and main concern should be to understand her. Which means that you may have to turn the game off. You may have to put the phone down. You may have to set the controller to the PS. 72, down on the ground. 
You may have to let go of childish things and look your wife in the eye and listen to her. This is a crazy idea, but you may also have to, you may have to initiate conversation with your wife. That's crazy, right? You may actually have to initiate conversation. And then when you listen, you may have to actually listen for like a different reason, not for just waiting for her to stop talking. <laughs> but you may have to listen for comprehension. Not so that you can remember for five seconds and, you know, parrot it back to prove that you remembered and then go back to the game and forget. But listen for comprehension and then base some decisions on what she said. Base some action on what she said. Because this said, live in an understanding way with your wife. Right? Live in this way. This, this is what you're supposed to be doing. Men, wake up. Your wife matters. What your wife says matters. What she thinks matters. What her opinions are matter. Her desires matter. Her preferences matter. Wake up, man. Live with your wife in an understanding way. Seek to understand her. And then it says to show her honor. And so now we move from understanding to honor, and we just talked about submission and honor and respect. And so the way Peter is teaching this is that honor doesn't come just from wife to husband, but it goes both ways, right? It goes both ways. Honor and respect flow both ways. So God-honoring husbands should be wife-honoring husbands. I need to strengthen that a bit. I believe it's impossible to be a God-honoring husband if you're not a wife-honoring husband. It's impossible to be a God-honoring husband if you're not a wife-honoring husband. You cannot continually tear down, belittle, scream at, yell at, make fun of, and in any other way dishonor your wife and claim to be a follower of Jesus Christ. The light of Christ has no fellowship, has no connection with that kind of filthy, prepubescent, insecure, worthless darkness. That, I don't know if that was harsh enough. Not for the small, evil men that I'm directing this to. Who would, with their facial expressions and their outward whatever in public and on Sunday mornings, act like everything's fine and they're the best husbands in the world, and then behind closed doors, continually, without remorse, tear their wives down. You cannot be a God-honoring husband unless you're a wife-honoring husband. You cannot continually tear your wife down without remorse and call yourself a Jesus follower. That may sound harsh and extreme, but that's where I'm at on it. That's where I'm at on it. So understand your wife and honor her. Those are the two commands. Then he goes to two motivations for this. First, he reminds us that husbands, he reminds us husbands that our wives are precious and, and they're valuable. So it calls the wife the weaker vessel. How many of you women just love this text, like weaker vessel? You're just like, I love this. Say it again, weaker vessel. Oh yeah. <laughs> love the weaker vessel. 
Love the weaker vessel text. This is great. Put it on a t-shirt. Weaker vessel. You're like, can we do a worship song that's weaker vessel? Just, just, the, just the women sing, I'm the weaker vessel. Just a refrain back and forth. Yeah, you don't love it. I think it's because maybe we misunderstand this. So let me, let me try to explain it just a little bit, and maybe this, this will help. Um, th- this verse has been twisted and used by evil men to oppress women for centuries. But this is not saying that women are lesser or the lesser of the two sexes. That's not what it's saying. Because read the next few words. It says, to the woman as the weaker vessel, since they are heirs with you of the grace of of life. Peter says they're not lesser, they're equal to you in the only way that matters before God. They've been given the same grace in Jesus that you've been given, men. So when this says weaker vessel, it's not talking about weaker as in unable or not strong. That's not what it's saying. It's saying that women are to be handled carefully because they are precious valuable and worthy of care. It's saying women are to be treasured and honored because they are priceless. Like you would handle some kind of beautiful glass or some kind of precious stone, so should you men handle your wife. Emotionally, with the words you choose, physically, you should handle them with care because they are precious like treasure and they are equal to you before God. Tracking with me? One person's tracking with me. The second motivation is at the very end. Um, it says, likewise, husbands, live with your wives in an understanding way, showing honor. And then at the end, so that your prayers may not be hindered. So I'm going to give you a chance to respond, okay, just in a second. I'm giving you the warning because first and second service failed at it, okay? So I had to repeat myself, and it was this whole thing. So you guys just know that I'm about to ask you a question. So put your thinking caps on, okay? I'm giving you a little bit of a heads up because I love you more than them. So, um, so in English, uh, so this said your prayers will be hindered. In English, uh, the, the word your, Y-O-U-R, some of you struggle with like which your, it's fine. You just post however you want to. We just can see your English level. But your, your can be singular or plural, right? If I say your prayers, I could be talking to one person, two people, five million people. I'd still use the word your. You tracking with me so far? Okay, that wasn't the response and you still failed, all right, because you did the same thing. Okay, so in this text, Peter is using the plural form of this word your. So when he says your prayers, it's plural. He's talking to wives and husbands together, their prayers, okay? So he goes, your prayers will be hindered. So what assumption is he making here? That you're praying, right? Good, you guys did better because I gave you the heads up. You're praying. So, so this is assuming that husbands, you are leading your wife in prayer together on a regular basis. Now, statistics tell me that almost no husband in this room is actually doing that. And so don't act like you're not, you're all set, okay, because I know you're not. So almost nobody in this room is leading their wife in prayer on a regular basis. I'm not talking about grace before we eat, okay, that's not what we're talking about. I'm not actually praying together at night or in the morning or whatever, praying it could be five minutes. I'm saying almost nobody's doing it at all. And so this is first assuming that a Christ, he goes, you're a Christ follower. Of course you're going to be praying together. He just assumes you're going to be praying together. So that's something to think about. The next thing is that he says it's going to, he says that if, if you're not 
living with your wife in an understanding way, you're not taking this seriously, that you honor your wife in the way that he's talking about, then these, these prayers that you're offering up, if you are praying together, they're going to be hindered. It's going to hinder your prayers. So those prayers for her, for your wife, those prayers for the kids, those prayers for health, those prayers for, for grandma, those prayers for the, the neighbors to come to know Christ, those prayers for your finances. What the Bible just said, not Jake, but what the Bible just said is that if you, husband, are not taking seriously the sacrificial leadership of your home in the way that he outlined, then your prayers will be hindered. So if you are praying and you're not seeing anything happen, maybe this is at least one thing to ask. Am I leading my wife, striving to lead my wife in this way? That's what the text said. It's not what I said. It's what the text said. Maybe you're not humbly leading and loving your wife in this way, and maybe that's the problem. Probably some other factors there, but I'm just throwing that out there. So 1 Peter 3, I mean, it has some very difficult commands in it for wives and for husbands, all having to do with humility. If you're a wife, be subject to your husband, even if he doesn't follow Jesus. And focus not on your outward appearance, but on what's on the inside. Cultivating a gentle and quiet spirit. And maybe when you hear that, wives, you go, yeah, right. Maybe your reaction is to laugh. Yeah, right. Pastor Jake, you don't know my husband. He's disgusting. He smells bad. He won't do what I tell him to do. He won't help me around the house. He doesn't respect me. You should hear the words that come out of his mouth behind closed doors. Yeah, right. And if your husband, the command is to live in an understanding way towards your wife and, and to honor her because she's precious, valuable, and equal before God. And maybe when you hear that, husbands, you're like, yeah, right. It's impossible. You don't know my wife, Jake. Like, I've seen your wife. She's all nice and sweet and smiley, and she sings on Sunday morning sometimes. Listen, last week, I saw lightning come out of my wife's eyes and kill a box of kittens. <laughs> kittens, Jake. Little cuddly kittens. You don't know my wife. You don't, she is impossible to lead. She is disrespectful. She does not want me to lead her. She's impossible to live with in an understanding way or to honor. But, but it doesn't matter. Here's what I want you to hear, beloved. It doesn't matter how your spouse responds. Wives, it doesn't matter how your husband responds. Husbands, it doesn't matter how your wife responds. This command stands apart from any kind of contingency. It's not if your wife acts right and you treat her this way. And if your husband does this, then you submit to him. It is you submit to him and you lead her and honor her and sacrifice for her as if you're doing it to God, despite her reaction, despite his reaction. And so this thing stands no matter what. There is no backside to these statements. And don't forget that, that it's God saying this. It's God showing us how he set this thing to work up best. He set this thing to work best. So as you try to live humbly, as you try to be humble to submit to unjust, disrespectful, imperfect leaders or unbelieving, difficult, or just lazy husbands, 
as you try to honor and lead and serve a wife who just doesn't want to be led. As you do this, remember that it's for God. It's because of God. It's to God. You're not submitting to a person. You're submitting to God. You're not serving a person. You're serving God. And it's through his strength that you do this. He's the one who has set you apart for humility. So before you give up, before you kind of scoff and just kind of keep doing what you've been doing because this hadn't worked so far and because it sounds impossible, before you give up, remember what God said to Abraham and Sarah. Is anything too hard for him? Is anything too difficult for the Lord? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you for your goodness and your mercy. Thank you, God, that you speak to us. I, I want to pray, God, for those of us in this room who are Christ followers and are married. I pray, Lord, that in that difficult marriage where things aren't going exactly like we want them to go, and there's strife and there's arguing and there's headbutting and we tried to do it the right way 10 years ago, but we gave up on that. Lord, I pray that your grace would reign supreme there, that your power would be there, that your presence would be there, that your peace would be there. I pray that this sermon today in, in 1 Peter 3 would spark some conversations that lead, that lead to some, some good things, some health in marriages, some marriages that reorient and face towards you and your commands and how you set this thing to work, up, work best. I pray for that wife who's listening online or, or here who's married to an unbelieving husband. Things are difficult. Things are hard. Everything is out of sync because the thing that matters most, faith, is out of sync. There's tears. There's hurt. And there's pain. Lord, I pray in Jesus' name that you would give peace and comfort. And above all, would you give these women hope? Would you give them hope? And would you help them to trust in your commands, to trust in what you're saying, to believe that as they follow your commands, it gives their husband the best chance possible to come to know you. I pray for many, many unbelieving husbands right now to come to faith in Jesus Christ very soon. Make our families whole and our marriages healthy and strong, Jesus. I pray, God, for that person in this room who has yet to submit their lives to you. And they hear us talk about this and, and they say, yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, to... That, that wife or husband's going, I, yeah, I'm going to apply these principles. I'm going to do some of this stuff. And I'm praying for that person who would try to go from this place and apply the principles of your word apart from you, Jesus, apart from Christ. And I pray right now that you would stop them from doing that. And Holy Spirit, you would do what only you can do, that you would woo them and attract them and bring them into a relationship with Jesus Christ. That first they would submit their lives to you completely. And you would do that transforming work in their hearts. You would make them a new creation. And then they would go out and try to follow your word and follow your commands. 
So if there's a person in this room who has yet to give their life to you, I pray right now that they do it in their heart, in their mind, in their actions, when they stand up, that they would tell somebody they came with, that they would pray with somebody, that it would be real. And that it would be like a chain reaction, that their lives would be, their life would be transformed and their spouse's life would be transformed and their kids' lives would be transformed. And, and just like ripples in a pond, it would go out and transform neighbors and other families and whole communities. I pray for that in the name of Jesus. God, we give this all to you. We trust you with it. Even difficult commands, difficult truth. We accept it. We want your truth. Help us to walk it out. It's in your holy name that we pray. Everybody said amen. Why don't you stand with me? We've got prayer workers on the side that would love to pray for you today. And If you want to give your life to Christ, make sure you stop by a prayer worker at the end during this song or right afterwards. And they'll give you a packet just to help you take those next steps. But here's my prayer for you today. May you trust God enough to do what he says. May you spend more time thinking, studying, praying about how to be humble than you spend on outward appearance. And because of these, may your laughter be full of joy and commitment. Contentment, I'm sorry. Instead of tears and bitterness. God bless you. Thank you so much for coming. If you're not in a life group, Make sure you get in the life group so you can talk this over with them this week. If you're not yet plugged in, that's okay. We'll get you plugged in. Stop at Connection Central. We'll sign you up for a life group. And then as always, my challenge to you is that you not let this stop with you. Go out. Talk to somebody about 1 Peter. Talk to somebody about submission and what the Bible says about it. Be a Jesus follower who makes and disciples other Jesus followers. God bless you. Thank you for coming. Hey, don't miss next week. I'm going to have some guests here to help me preach. It's going to be a good Sunday. Do not miss that. God bless. We'll see you then.